0: The Sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, preached on June 17, 2012, based on Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God through which the Holy Spirit comforts us with the good news of our Savior Jesus Christ is the second lesson, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Please give your attention to the opening verses once again. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven. He had the keys for the abyss and a strong chain in his hand. He got hold of the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan. He bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. So much speculation about these verses before us here today. So many point to this section of the scripture to prove their opinion that Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years. That's called millennialism. In fact, they go so far as to say that if we don't agree with their notions, that we are not taking the Bible literally like we're supposed to then. And so before we can get to the comfort that these words were recorded to bring to you and me, before we can see the picture that Jesus of comfort that Jesus wants to bring us, we need to address those false notions. In fact, we need to see that because we take The Bible as God's little literal word, because that's what the Bible is, we must reject those false notions about a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. But what's to guide us? What's to determine how we understand these words here? What principle are are, are we to apply? If we take opinion polls, we'll certainly find that there is a variety of different ideas about what these verses say. Doesn't mean the correct one is the most popular one. What guides us? The key principle when we interpret these words of Scripture, in fact, the key principle to understanding any part of the Bible is this Scripture interprets Scripture. And what does that mean, to let Scripture interpret Scripture? Well, two thoughts to keep in mind there. First, the context determines what a word, phrase, or sentence means. And secondly, the clear passages of Scripture help us to understand those sections that may not be as clear to us. When we apply those two thoughts, then we are letting Scripture interpret Scripture. So first of all let's look at the context here. As we look at the book of Revelation as we look at Revelation chapter 20 we see that Jesus the ascended Lord Jesus has been showing the apostle John what will take place. And when we look at what else Jesus has shown him throughout the book of Revelation we see that what Jesus shows John is filled with with imagery and figurative pictures. In fact, even numbers and spans of time have been used figuratively previous to this chapter. And when we look at this chapter itself, we see that this too is part of what Jesus is showing John in those images and and pictures. For John twice says, I saw, I saw. And as we begin this chapter, we see too that he talks about a key and and, uh, a chain which are figures because... A physical key cannot lock hell, and a literal chain cannot bind Satan, even if it is made out of titanium steel or adamantine. And so, as we look at the context here, we see that the context certainly allows taking the a thousand years as a figure, as a picture. In fact, unless another portion of Scripture compels us to take these thousand years as a literal thousand-year span of time, the context strongly pulls us in the direction of a picture, a figure. And as we take a closer look at the actual words here, as we take a look at the immediate context, do these verses even talk about Christ reigning on this earth? As you heard the verses read earlier, did you hear anything about this earth? Or about any place on this earth? in in fact, when it talked about the souls on the throne, my, my thoughts were not taken to this earth, but to heaven. And that's really what this section is saying, is that the souls of Christians are reigning in heaven with Christ. It's talking about the reign of these souls, not the reign of Christ. And it's not talking about a reign on this earth, but souls that are in heaven. And so as we look at the context, it is clear that this section of Scripture does not teach a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But let's now move on to that second thought, that as we let Scripture interpret Scripture we not only look at the context, but we also look at the clear passages of Scripture that deal with the same topic here. And this is especially important when we are dealing with figurative speech. We must not let our imagination spin whatever we wish out of figures of speech here. Rather, we let the clear passages of Scripture on this topic determine our interpretation of the figures of speech. And what does the rest of the scripture say about Christ's kingdom? Well, one place that we can look at here is in Luke chapter 17. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said this about his kingdom. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observations, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And then right after that, Jesus goes on to say that if if someone wants to tell you that here he is on this earth, or there he is over there, that we should not believe him. And so if someone wants to tell you that Jesus is there reigning in Jerusalem or will be there reigning someday, Jesus himself says, don't believe them. Or you can think of what Jesus said before Pontius Pilate. My kingdom is not of this earth. Throughout his ministry and throughout the scriptures, Again and again, the Lord tries to bring home that point to you and to me that his kingdom is not an earthly, worldly kingdom. Not now and not sometime in the future. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And as we think about these verses in Revelation 20, there are some other clear teachings of Scripture about Jesus' return and the future that we need to keep in mind as well. First of all that Jesus will be returning only once more. And that return will be a visible return for all to see. For example, think of what the angels told the disciples as they were staring up where Jesus had ascended. They said to them, "The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will return" In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. They watched him ascend visibly and he will return visibly, not in some secretive way. And that return will be once more, at the end of time, on the last day. There won't be a double return. And and there won't be a return on the first day of a thousand year reign or anything like that. It's the last day that Jesus comes back, right? The last day. And on that day, he will raise all the dead. There won't be any kind of double resurrection with a thousand years separating them. And then he will judge the living and the dead. Those who believe, as evidenced by how they served others in Christ's name in this life, will be saved. And those who have not believed will be condemned. That's what the Bible clearly teaches about Jesus' return. And the end of time. And so now that we have seen the clear passages of Scripture, and as we've looked at the context here shining out brightly uh, to illuminate for us what God wants us to know and believe, we know that God's Word is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. And so now we can move on and take to heart the comfort that these pictures were recorded. To bring to us the comfort that we have as we remember these pictures that bring us the assurance of the blessings we have because Jesus has triumphed over Satan. Let's uh, take a look at those first three verses. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven. He had the keys for the abyss and a strong chain in his hand. He got hold of the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil, Satan. He bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss. He locked and sealed it over him in order that he would not deceive the Gentiles until the thousand years came to an end. After this, he must be released for a little while. Satan is called the ancient serpent here. That takes us back to the very beginning, doesn't it? As a snake, he deceived Eve as Adam stood there watching They believed Satan's lie instead of God's truth. No wonder he is called the devil, which means liar, deceiver. They rejected God's love, thinking he was trying to hold them back. They ate the forbidden fruit and then hid from God. Their life with God ended right there. They became dead in sin. They were no longer alive with God. Only the Lord's promise to send the serpent crusher the champion born of woman, the only one who could restore their ruined relationship with him by reconciling reconciling them through his death. Only that promise made them alive again to God. And as you know and believe, dear Christians, Jesus, the champion, the serpent crusher, born of the virgin, has indeed come And as you heard in the gospel today, Mark chapter 3, he is the stronger one. He has tied up that strong man, Satan. He has chained him. Jesus' miracles of driving out demons made that clear during his ministry. But you and I, dear friends, have even greater proof than that. For we have seen how Satan has struck Jesus' heel We note that as Jesus suffers and dies there on the cross. But you know and believe that by that death in our place, Jesus has crushed Satan's head. He has broken Satan's power over us, setting us free. He has chained Satan and kept us safe from him. And he has done this not only for a little while, but for the full span of time that God has determined, as pictured by the thousand years here, that chaining of Satan began when Jesus finished his earthly ministry and continues down to our day for you and me to live, knowing that Jesus, Jesus has triumphed, and so Satan is restrained. For you see, after Jesus rose from the dead, He sent out his disciples, not just to one nation, but to all nations, didn't he? He sent them out to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news of forgiveness in Jesus. And that is why Satan can no longer deceive the nations. Deception only works when the truth is hidden. But God's truth, is no longer confined to one nation on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. God's word goes out into all the world. And that word, dear friends, the word of our God, is the chain that restrains Satan. And it does so for that entire span of time that God has determined, starting when Jesus finished his earthly mission and continuing down to our day and so dear Christian friends know and believe that Jesus is stronger Jesus has chained Satan with his word when we have God's word living in our hearts and filling our lives we don't need to be afraid we don't need to worry about Satan for he is chained he is restrained oh But you might say, doesn't the Bible warn us that the devil, Satan, is like a roaring lion looking for those to devour? And yes, the Bible gives us that warning. And that's what happens if we wander away from God's word. If we put God's word to the side and think we can face Satan without having that word fill us. Then we are in danger. We open ourselves to deception if we leave behind the fullness of God's Word and His truth. But as long as God's Word fills our hearts, as long as that Word lives in our lives, know and believe, dear friends, that that Word restrains Satan. Think of it like a dog on a chain. That dog may growl and bark and even lunge at you, but... As long as you are by Jesus in his word, he cannot hurt you. What a picture of comfort because of Christ's triumph. Satan is restrained. Now, in the time we have left here, we we cannot go into detail on the last uh, three verses here, the second picture, but just take to heart this picture of comfort that these words bring out. Put yourself back to the days of the Roman Empire at the end of the first century. Christian martyrs appeared so weak and helpless. All they had to do was worship the emperor, but no, they continued to follow Jesus. And as they were beheaded or faced some other gruesome death, it looked like they were the big losers. But John says, no, no, they live. In fact, they not only live, but they reign with Christ. They are the souls that John sees on the throne. For even though they had been born dead in sin like the rest of us, God had raised them from that death. He had given them spiritual life during their life on this earth, just as he has done for you and me through baptism and his word. That's the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection that makes us alive before God right now in this life. And so, when death took their bodies, that did not end their life with God, did it? They continued to live, and their souls reigned with Christ, and continued to reign with Him, awaiting the resurrection of the body on the last day. The second death, that is eternal death, cannot touch them. Yes, they experienced that first death, the physical death of their bodies, but the second death has no power over them, eternal death of hell for they are alive before God and what a comfort for you and me when we must say goodbye to a faithful Christian who has departed this life the body looks and is so powerless and lifeless but dear friend know and believe that they continue to live before God Just as Jesus told Martha at the gravesite of Lazarus, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, and whoever dies and believes in me will live. And not only do they live, but they are on the thrones with Jesus. They are priests before God and Christ and reign with Him forever. What a picture of comfort because of Christ's triumph God's people reign. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.